Today's episode is brought by Irish Breeze and Danish Coffee. We could not find any good local coffee, so we had to go all the way to this like fancy coffee shop, and then we laughed because all of their beans were imported from other places. Our beans are from Denver and Denmark and places that aren't Ireland. There's nothing special about Danish coffee, but it's just from Denmark, so. It's the only coffee that we could find that wasn't in a one kilo bag. And now in Ireland countryside, you can't hear nothing but birds and breathe and like bugs like twitching each other. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Today's episode, we're going to talk about being a video editor. And we have here, of course, Lee, who identify herself as video editor. Yay, video editor! I love talking about video editing. Nobody ever cares about video editing. They're like, oh, that's that thing that you have to go through. And I'm like, no, I love it. Let's talk about it. I have almost a decade of professional experience being a video editor. I've done all kinds of video from documentary, feature length, uh, sort of like narrative, kind of melodrama, short films, DVDs. And I made this decision in my mid-20s that I wasn't going to go the route of being a big post-production house editor that does feature films. Instead, I decided I was going to focus on internet video because it was the most interesting video to me. So I kind of specialize in super short form social media videos, stuff that lives online, all that kind of stuff. I focus on online videos. So Lee does a lot of editing. And I think Mm. it's the first time I actually met up events editor Mm. or proper editor Mm. because um when you're in like making videos there's a lot of people who can do editing like who can touch the software like as if i dabble with photoshop that Mm. i'm really not using it like i use the 10 percent of it they don't want to be they're like always identify them them as like something else i think that's true i think in korea especially there's a lot of people that fall into editing that don't necessarily want to do it but it's the one of the easiest film gigs to get because it's so grueling it's like awful and nobody wants to do it. So it's really easy to get a job as an editor, but it's really hard to keep a job as an editor. And I'm one of the few people I've met as well who actually genuinely just loves post-production. And one of the most exciting parts about Susie getting to know all the stages of film development was that she too is like, yeah, post-production's the best. And I'm like, oh yeah, let's do post-production together. Okay, first question, what does editors do? Video editor, what's mm. their job? What 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 are they? I think it depends on what type of film you're working on. When you work at a bigger company as an editor, you will likely just focus on the cut of the video and some very light audio work. But you won't be doing sound design, you won't be doing color correction, and you won't be doing graphic work. That will be done by other people in the post-production house or other people in the studio. Usually the editor and the director come together and they work to get the film to the best possible version it could be. And I always say that the director is looking at the story that's in the script and the editor is looking at the story that's in the footage. Because directors have been working so long since the beginning of the project, they have in their mind exactly what it's supposed to be. But editors only see kind of the what's in the footage itself and then they try and pull out moments or take it in a direction that the footage is telling them to go. So it sounds very kind of kumbaya-y, like, (laughs) feel it, listen to the footage. But I think that's really what it's like. So editors used to be more just about putting together the footage and helping the director come through and tell the story in a better way. But as the, like, editing tools themselves got more powerful, I think editors are starting to swallow up a lot of other roles, too. So if you're at a smaller company, most of the time people can't afford to do a sound designer and a mixer 
and a color corrector and a title specialist. So what winds up happening is that the editor has to be pretty good at all of them and like really good at one thing usually, but like decent enough at the others that you can make a, for example, a, a broadcast safe mix. You can make a video that's safe to be shown on TV. Every editor should know how to do that. You should know how to get the audio right. You should know how to get the color right, that kind of thing. When I freelance, uh, most of the time there's not a collaborative discussion with a director. So you have to put together the story on your own, just based on the materials that they give you. And you also have to do all the other technical parts of it that maybe you're not doing when you're working on a feature film. Mm. So editing can be simply making cuts and deciding on story, but it can also be a much more complicated range from, you know, importing and transcoding footage, managing assets, organizing the project, uh, editing things together, doing basic sound design, doing basic sound mixing, color correction, title work, light animation. It can be all of those things. It really just depends on the project. Can you actually go step by step all the process? What do you do? Okay. So I would say editors have three stages. Editors have the early stage, which is overwhelmingly technical. You need to know what size, frame size, the footage was shot in. So you need to know, like, if you shot on film stock, you have to go through this process to get it to something you can put into a computer to edit, and that's called telecine. 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 Give me, give me like the type of project we're working on. Give me an example um, of a fake project. How about? It's a short film under thirty minutes, shot in red. Okay. They wanted something to do with Scott Pilgrim kind of title sequence and action. Scott Pilgrim. So the first thing that you're going to do is meet with the director and they'll tell you all about their project and what's the great or what they're trying to do. Not to make fun of directors, but that is what they do. They'll give you a script, probably. Uh, most of the time that you don't get notes. but So you'll have this discussion with the director about what they shot on and what their aims are. And then they'll hand you a script and you'll read it over. And depending on the type of footage that you get, you'll kind of know what you're getting into after that conversation. Okay, it's shot on red which means it's going to need to be transcoded using red special software and it's going to need some extra time for color correction and they want some title sequences and so you have to make it clear that like how advanced do you want is this covered in my rate and then also how much time are we leaving for the title work so after you figure out all that stuff you have to make the hard drive space Why? to a director i shot the film and it's 255 gigs of footage this is a 250 gig project but if you're like me you actually need to transcode the footage from its 255 gigs into something Final Cut can actually read because I'm using Final Cut. And once you've done that, you're very likely going to be editing off of a hard drive as well. So if you're going to be editing with 4K transcoded footage, it doesn't always render really well. So you might want to make a set of proxy clips, which are like smaller clips to make. Stop right there. There's <laughs> few, few terminology we're not familiar with. Okay. okay. I hope it's also other listeners are mm. like confused about 4K proxy transcoding. Right. Could you just go over a little bit about those? Okay. So the first stage is overwhelmingly technical where you have to figure out how do I get the files in whatever form they come to me into something that I can edit with on my computer. Mm. And part of that is making sure that the format is right for your computer and your editing software. But part of that is also a lot of technical stuff about how much footage is there and how quickly do I want it to load. So if you're working with really big footage, and me, I work on a laptop, 
because I travel a lot. And laptops are really powerful, but they're not as powerful as a desktop. So if somebody gives me really, really big footage to work with, it's not going to play back in real time. It's going to like play for a few things, for a few frames, and then it's going to get stuck. It's going to skip. It's going to mess up. The solution to that in editing is you have to take that clip and make a smaller, crappier version of it to edit with. And then when you're ready to export, you export with the big original footage. Mm. And so doing that is a whole other post-production step. You have to convert everything to what are called proxy clips. And then after you've done the proxy clips, you have to, when it's time to export, you have to convert back. Mm. So uh, it does take extra hard drive space. And then once you do import them... How long does it actually usually take stand now? Uh, probably, I usually say 48 hours. It takes me two full days to two organize a project. Two full days, people. Two full days. She's just trying to organize to just... get ready to edit. It's not like, boom, I got the footage. Now it's time for no. editing time. So the beginning stage is transcoding footage... Changing it into a format your computer can read, organizing the files, organizing it within Final Cut or whatever editing program you're using. Because if you're on a project of any size, like a 30-minute indie, sh you know, action comedy short, that is going to have lots of different scenes, lots of different locations. It's an action sequence, so they're going to have multiple takes of fights, pre-choreographed things from different angles, and you need to organize it in a way that you can find it when it actually comes time to put this thing together. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to spend 15 minutes scrolling for a single clip every time you're like, where was that shot over the shoulder on the steady cam in the take where they accidentally grazed his cheek? <laughs> and then you're going to spend 15 minutes looking for that yeah, clip. Exactly. So you have to organize your footage. And then, after that, we're not even done. What? Our project was shot on red. Oh, no. So we have to sync audio. There's red? Okay, let's go with red. What's mm. red? Red is a line of cameras. It's, so like, it's like Canon. Canon. The idea behind red is that it's going to be the... Ultimate. The ultimate camera that makes... Ob Not obsolete. obsolete. Yeah, yeah, it makes obsolete obsolete. Tons of different add-ons. You can swap... You can build it component at a time. Instead of buying a whole camera, you buy, mm. a, like, the, the sensor, and then you buy, like, the viewfinder, and then you have to buy the focus ring, and then you have to buy the battery pack. You have to buy all these pieces separately. The idea is that as they upgrade them, you can just swap out each one. That's the idea behind it. So... A lot of people consider it the best digital cinema camera you can buy. Not everybody, but a lot of people consider it the best. So one of the things is, like, they're trying to cut costs. So when they rent a RED or when they use a RED, they don't put on an onboard microphone. And it doesn't seem like that big a deal. You're shooting audio separately. You don't need a microphone on your camera. But to an editor, when it comes time to sync that audio, if you can match audio tracks, I can do it with a piece of software. If you don't have an audio track, I have to do it manually. That's... I have to go clip by clip by clip. And it's the worst. That's That will take you a day. Like it, a day. it does. It does. That's the most tedious, tedious part. In big production houses, you have an assistant to do that because you're like, hell to the no. <laughs> but I don't have an assistant because I don't work in a big post-production house, so I usually have to do all that stuff myself. Yeah. So during the 48 hours, when you're transcoding all the thing, you really cannot do anything with your no. computer. Literally, you have to just sit it out. And literally, he's just like, yep, go checks on it, do some fiddling, yep. do other things. And then it's like you can't even use your um, computer. Yep. That is exactly the problem. Well, I shouldn't have to... You're not actively doing any editing when you're exporting a project, for example. So why should I have to pay you for that time? And it's really because I can't do anything else with my computer during that time. Yes, I'm not doing active work, but I also 
can't do anything else. You've taken my computer hostage. And if you tell me to deliver a project in seven days, then I have to take that amount of time that it takes the computer time into account. It's not seven days of active editing. What you mean is seven days from when I give you the footage to when I get the finished project. And that includes all the parts. I have to take all the parts into mm. account. So now we're into 48 hours transcoding and then syncing the audio for four right. a day. So now 72 hours has passed. Right. If I have a director working with me or if I'm just given a script and I'm editing on my own, either way, the first cut is always just as it's written or just as I was directed. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you make another cut that's sort of, oh, this isn't working. Let's try this. Oh, there was this cool thing that happened. Let's try and include it. You start to play around with it. You can go through as little as one cut. You can go through as many as, you know, you want, really. The sky's the limit. And you just sort of try different things and do different things and see what works. And, like, you'll edit, and then a director will not be sure because sometimes you need time around a cut. They originally wanted this thing in their head, but you tried something different. And you, who has no preconceived notions in your head, thinks it's great. But the director is like, ah, this is not what I originally imagined, and I'm uncomfortable with change, and I need to think about it. Sometimes directors are very decisive. Susie is one of the most decisive directors I've ever met. She's like, nope, like this. But most people are unsure and they need a few days to think about it. And they need time to not look at it and then come back to it and look at it, having forgotten what it was like. And then they need to look at the old cut and then look at the new cut and then think about it. It's kind of a Winnie Winnie the Pooh thing. They need to sit down and have a nice long think about it. And, you know, sometimes they show it to other people, sometimes they don't, but it's a very long process of the director deciding, is this what I want? Is this going in the right direction? Does this feel better or worse? And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes you wind up going back to old cuts because you're like, mm, I don't like this as much. So you always save your old cuts because it's kind of, it's after that, it's like a long winding journey and you're not really sure when it's over. Mm. Usually what happens is you run out of time. The director isn't sure. They're always unhappy with a few little things, but they just, you have to picture lock. You have to send it to the next stage of post-production. So they just make a decision in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the editing phase. So we've so, transcoded our footage. We've organized it. We've edited it. We've synced our audio. We've put everything together in a cut that everybody's reasonably happy with, and now it's time to export it. So the first phase was really technical. The second phase was really artistic and about decision-making, and then very experimental. And then the last phase is, once again, very, very technical. It depends on what level of film you're working on, but you have to do some various stuff. You have to get the audio to a reasonable level. You have to get the video to a reasonable level in terms of brightness and contrast. You have to get all the clips to look basically like they were shot in the time, same time in the same place. And then if you're doing, you may be doing artistic color correction on top of that. A director may want a specific look or a specific feel or a specific style for a scene, for all scenes. They may want one shot to be this and another shot to be this. It gets very, very detailed in the color correction phase. Exactly. So there's that part of the phrase and then you have to get it into an uploadable format that will work on their phone and you know or that will work on their computer. It depends on where the final destination of this video is. Where is it going? That mm-hmm. will change what size you shoot it in, it will change which codec you use, it will change all the different little details about exporting. But the end phase, nobody knows what you're talking about. The end phase, the editor either has to make a good call or a bad call. Mm -hmm. So compression settings, I have some real strong opinions on compression. And most people don't. So one thing that's really kind of funny is I have friends that to this day 
call me up when it's time to submit their films to festivals and they're like, I don't understand what this page is. I don't even need to look at it. They can just read me the first set of numbers and I know. They're like, it needs to be, I don't know what this says. I'm not sure, what is this 100 and like 128 kilobits per second for audio? Is it 18 or 16 bit depth? And they're like, how did you know that was the next number? And like, because I'm so familiar with all this stuff, I just kind of know. I specialize in online video, which means that I know which frame size is best for Instagram, which one is best for Facebook, which one is best for YouTube, all of these little different little tricky bits. I know how a Vimeo video should be exported as opposed to a YouTube video, as opposed to something you're putting on Brightcove. Those are all just, that's just exposure. That's just practice. That's just familiarity with it. Mm -hmm. But being able to make the right decisions for clients, being able to know whether you should use variable or constant bitrate for where the project is going, that's another part of the editing job too. Exactly. You have to know, you have to be familiar with every platform, every places, every file name, what is it? (gasps) All right. I think we should end this one right here. I mean, there's tons of things Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about. Yeah. We have a lot going on here, so... If you really enjoyed this podcast, it would be great if you write us a review on iTunes. Yep. Um, put some star if you hate it. Just put one star and say it was That's bad. Fine. That's great. We want it. So yeah, it helps us a lot. Helps the podcast grow. Helps Thanks. new people find us.